Hey there, you're listening to Making Spaces, the podcast about community, culture, and making new connections, hosted by my good Judy, my friend and yours, Sarah Heath. On this podcast, we're having conversations about design, literally making spaces, and how some of the most inclusive spaces aren't always the most inviting. And we're talking about what it means to make space for one another. With the world the way it is right now, we need to find ways to have conversations across lines of radical difference. So join Sarah each week as she tackles the intersection of design and practical spirituality with conversations with some of the most fabulous guests you're ever going to meet. Some will talk about actual design. Some of us will talk about relational design. But no matter what, it's an incredible time. So grab yourself a cup of whatever you like, and welcome to Making Spaces with Sarah Heath. Rather than being frozen in fear, like, what if this creates some tension? Just go ahead and lay it down. It will. Like, it will. Don't don't get stuck and lost um, in fear there, because it will create some tension. It potentially might create some loss. Um, it will create some work when you have to sort of redefine and reimagine who you are and how you show up in the world. But this is my thesis and I will not bend from it. It is worth it. Like it is so (laughs) worth it to live free. Friends, I'm so excited to share with you my conversation with my friend, Jen Hatmaker. If you don't know Jen's work, she's a speaker, hosts a really great podcast called For the Love. She runs an online book club and has written some fantastic books, including her newly released Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. Jen knows a thing or two about making space for people. When she began speaking publicly about making space for diversity and LGBTQIA inclusion, she experienced a full fallout with her evangelical roots, which included her books actually being removed from Christian bookstore shelves, which was actually right before I met her and gave her some serious street cred. Our conversation covers the importance of making space for our true selves so that all of our work that we do is authentic and deeply rooted. She is such a delight and I'm lucky to call her a friend. Stick around this week for the weekly takeaway and an inspirational quote at the end. Okay, so the question I always start with for people, um, this podcast is about making space and understanding spaces, both the idea of like tangible, actual space, but then also the idea of like people who are making space for other people, theological, spiritual, Mm -hmm. emotional. Mm -hmm. So I always like to ask people, actual spaces, what is one of your favorite spaces? And I say one of, because so many people Mm -hmm. were like, I can't pick one space, but what's Mm -hmm. one space that you, um, that you kind of love and then why? Mm, That's a great question. Like the one that comes right to mind where I go and just like my body just starts walking toward it when either I'm happy and celebrating or need to breathe or whatever is our porch. Like Mm -hmm. we have a, a house that was built in 1908. It's like a farmhouse and we built a huge porch and it overlooks an acre of just Uh. green grass and like 12 pecan trees. Uh. And it is big and rambly and old fashioned. And, um, I just love it. I can't even count how many memories I have out there. Just how many people that I love that we have sat on that porch and just built a life. Like we like worked through every hard thing. We've watched all the college football. 
We, of course, have a TV <laughs> out there and a cooler and an ice machine. I mean, it's party porch. Um, I Just last week, I had um, a couple of people over. And we sat on the three corners of the porch, socially distanced, and cried over some big things. And it's just, that's the place. Oh, yeah. That's uh-huh. where I go. Yeah. Yeah, I have a patio that is almost the exact same size as my... Um, kind of like my living room area in my home. Yeah. Because my living room and dining room I've turned into like my dining, what you would call a dining room um, is I've turned it into like a little office podcasting area. And so I eat outside because I live in Southern California. So I have my dining room table, if you will, is like an outdoor table. And so my patio is like when you come to my home, the first thing is my patio. So in some ways it's like having a big Southern porch and you're just Mm. making me realize that, that like in the South where my parents live, people just, you sit on the porch, you sit on the patio and that's where you have the conversations. 100% true. And it's definitely true for me. Um, So I, we just kind of always say the house we have the house, so we have a place to cook and sleep at night. And the porch <laughs> is like where we live. I lo- that's great for what's going on right now. You yeah, know, it is. For well, this, I, I, you're not wrong. You know, socially just, and actually I had a day the other day where I wasn't doing so great. And a friend of mine, she came up, um, she lives in LA. She came um, down here and she brought food and we sat six feet mm-hmm. apart on the patio. And it was incredible because that really is this place mm-hmm. where like deep, friendships have blossomed. So thank you for reminding me about the importance of uh, my patio space. 100%. Because it is a great space. So I am so excited to talk to you. I um, have just loved kind of following your work and being able to hang out with you on several occasions. And just, um, I think I've always known we were similar, but I had a very shocking revelation which it wasn't shocking to anyone else a couple weeks ago that um if you're into the enneagram i found out i'm an enneagram three and then to find out that is something that you are also i was like of course makes sense that's right it does all right listeners i wanted to hop in and just say you're about to hear a lot of numbers being thrown around and uh, you may not know but this is from something called the enneagram which is simply a way of understanding our personalities it's gained a lot of popularity over the last couple of years and you may feel like it's a bit of a cult It's not, I promise. Well, I can't exactly promise it, but I'm pretty sure it's not. If you want to check out more about it, I do want to recommend Susan Stabiel and Ian Cron's book, The Road Back to You, or Richard Bohr's book, The Enneagram. It'll give you lots more information, and I'll make sure that's in the show notes. The numbers are from one to nine, so you'll hear us throw numbers around, and I just wanted to make sure that you knew that was from something called The Enneagram. And we definitely came up through channels that would not celebrate that oh, um, no. even ourselves we wouldn't celebrate that self that in our own selves um because it is seen as way too ambitious and um far too um assertive right <laughs> um i was just on a podcast yesterday with suzanne stabile who's like I love her. expert i know and she was like oh i was saying something about types that i tend to I'm drawn to. She's like, of course. She's like, threes and sevens and eights. Of course, those are your best friends. You guys are all real aggressive. I'm like, well, yep. <laughs> I guess she's like, I mean that nice. It's not a bad term. Those are just aggressive types. I'm like, uh huh, exactly. You are not wrong. I think it's weird because I actually had Suzanne came on my last podcast and we talked about. She's like, I'm pretty sure you're two, but I think that as I've been reading your book and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was to talk about making space for ourselves is actually making space for other people. 
and vice versa. So mm-hmm. when we make space for like who we really are, we don't realize we're like opening up kind of this thing. And as I've been reading your book, I'm like, oh my gosh, I really have been. And I think a two wing is definitely part of me. And I think yeah, I have been too. living because of our culture um, and because of how I grew up. I grew up just trying so hard to be fully in my two. And so my three was mm-hmm. a place I would go to um, and then immediately experience shame. Like I shouldn't feel this way. And yep. so reading your book, I had moments where I was like screenshotting it and sending it uh, to friends and they're like, yes, yep, that's yeah. you. Like the idea of, you know, having mm-hmm. teachers and it even opens up with this story of a teacher who wasn't your biggest fan and um, yep. kind of, you were like, that's it, I'm going to win them over. But they weren't a fan because you were kind of just taking up the space that you you know, was natural for you. And so right, I'd, lo- exactly. I'd love to talk a little bit about that. Why, why this book and why now? Because I think it, mm. it really is helpful as for some of us as we try to make space for ourselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm just taking in all your words. <laughs> um, I think this book, um, Sarah Bessie put it to me like this, and it was so resonant that I've used it since as a um, kind of a touchstone, which was that, um, and to some degree, to some degree, this has of course been true with everything I've ever written, but to a very large degree, this book, Fierce, is the one that I most uh, lived and learned and earned. Um, this, this one was earned. And so, um, everything that I learned is so cherished to me and it also had a cost. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, fierce is bearing witness to it. And not just for me, it's not a memoir. It's really not even just about my story. Um, not just for me, but also my community. Um, because, of course, now I'm just very convinced that this is that freedom is possible for all of us. Um, And that feels exciting to me. That feels like a vision worth my energy Mm. and um, investment. Um, And so I thought, okay, I've, this isn't speculation for me anymore. I've I've learned so much and I've experienced so much. And, um, and now I kind of know what's possible more. I suspected it. Like I suspected it before, but now I know. And so it's time to ring the bell, you know, time to (laughs) ring the bell. And I hope I did. I feel like, look, I feel like you did. I think this idea of being your full self, obviously, you know, I've even written a book about authenticity is everywhere. Right. And we, Mm -hmm. And we extinctually know like we should be more of ourselves. And then like the moment we even say that, I think there's another voice that says, nope. Uh, (laughs) I think there's a voice that says, uh, you know, there's like 17 filters you could use. Um, And I, our value and I are are worth and so much of society has been based on ways that we can portray like our best versions of ourselves, and of course um put on masks and and the thing that i i think is really interesting is this idea of like sometimes we wear the mask so much we think it's us um mm. and sometimes when we're getting the right kind of affirmation of like oh no this is this is okay i can do this i can do this and then 
you speak to something that I, all of us will eventually experience is if you keep doing that, the, you're, you can't get rid of who you actually are. Like you're going to pop out. <laughs> There's nothing you yes. can do. You can. That's, it's, it's true. You can sideline yourself. Up. Oh, yeah. yes. Um, and I think there's just the power in, it's interesting when you start being honest, other people are like, oh, uh, I always say the people who get <coughs> most angry about you sharing the fullness of yourself are usually the people that wish they could. Yeah, um, I, has that been your experience? Sort of this idea is like, as soon as you started to kind of open the door and kind of show a little bit of the back here, here's actually who I am. Did you find this like a resistance, if we want to call it, you know, the war of art resistance? People like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. <laughs> Get back in line. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so if I'm going to be perfectly fair, some of that is the fault of a community that doesn't value spiritual curiosity, that doesn't value evolution mm. and growth unless it arcs along a certain like approved line. Um, so some of that is that, um, and some of it I have to own because, you know, the, the version of myself that I give to the world, I can't expect the rest of the world to not believe me. I can't expect them to read my mind. I can't Mm. expect them to see beyond what I am suggesting is real and imagine that there is more. And so to some degree, if what I put out there is, is a, is a fractured version of who I am or an incomplete version or entirely false, um, then it's not my community's fault for believing me, you know? Right. Yeah. You've asked that. Here's the packaging and I'm really good at it. And if we are, fully embodied in our threeness, like I can like, I can convince you of this as much as I'm trying to convince myself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so, you know, we we can't be super surprised when people believe um, what we are showing them. That is their, they have the right to assume we are telling the truth. And so that's why so much of this is our work. It's our Mm -hmm. work. We, it's unfair to expect our communities or the people that we are in relationship with um, to do some sort of supernatural work of mind reading. And, and so we, we've helped create these little worlds that we now tend. Um, (laughs) And so of course, if we say this is not real for me or this is i don't agree with this anymore or i don't believe this or this is causing me harm or i need a boundary here in a place where i've never required one there's going to be some disruption there just is um because that's not the version of us that we've been living and so people have become very accustomed to whatever it is that is keeping that stable our silence our complicity um, our energy and effort, um, yeah. our labor, whatever it is. And so when we pull that back and we say, no, I need to have agency over this in my own life. I need my, I need ownership here. We need to expect turbulence. And I hope I didn't soft sell that because that's real. And that happens <laughs> and no. that, you, that, that will come, it will come. And so I think rather than being frozen in fear, like what if this creates some tension, just go ahead and lay it down. It will like, it will don't, don't get stuck and lost 
um, in fear there because it will create some tension. It potentially might create some loss. Um, it will create some work when you have to sort of redefine and reimagine who you are and how you show up in the world. But this is my thesis and I will not bend from it. It is worth it. Like it is so <laughs> worth it to live free. It is so worth it to live true. And what you discover is on the other side of that, you begin to build the life you've always wanted. And it's real, it's genuine, it's integrated. Um, you just begin attracting people into your community that are safe and um, that love you as you really are and who you really are. I mean, it's just, it feels like a miracle. I'm not kidding. It is so worth it to live true. And what you discover is on the other side of that, you begin to build the life you've always wanted. And it's real. It's genuine. It's integrated. Um, you att just begin attracting people into your community that are safe and um, that love you as you really are and who you really are. I mean, it's just, it feels like a miracle. I'm not kidding. I love that idea of like, once you sort of <laughs> kind of push the boundaries a little bit, you're, you're making the space for yourself. You're being honest. You're being open. You're actually letting yourself you know, sort of forgive your younger self and move beyond and whatever it might yes. be, you're, you're kind of making this space. And then people that you felt like, so you imagine you're pushing people away. There's other people who are coming closer because of it. The space is being made yeah. your, you know, the people that really might be your work or your um, companions, they're, they're kind of flooding in. And I think um, even in my own work as a pastor, when I've I tried to play the part of a pastor for so long. Like I'm going to follow all the rules that I've been told to follow. Um, and then I just had a massive, like, I can't do it. And yeah. I just decided to be myself. And if it like, I kind of started treating it a little bit like speed dating. Like if I'm not for you, mm. uh, fine, you're not for me. So like, let's see yeah. what this looks like. And I was going through my ordination process and it was just mm. one of those, like, I'm going to have to just be, honest with myself and honest with you and say, these are the things I'm good at. These are the things I'm not good at. Not as an excuse, just as like, this is me. And what's been interesting is people have been more inspired by that than I think they That's were right. by the like really great acting I did of like, no, I can do totally. all the things, which totally. I thought would like m make me closer to people, um, mm -hmm. which is always, I think that's always the goal is, and I think we create these masks where we create these false spaces because we're so afraid of you know being separated because the story we were told is that as soon as you start being big or being yourself yeah. which might be smaller you are going to no longer be accepted or i think it's always about relational um kind of like it, what it's going to do to your relationships do you think that's sort of the mm -hmm. the fear that's in all of us mm -hmm. like how will people right. deal and with me and I, one thing I appreciate that you just said that I also deeply addressed is that for some of us, when we kind of step into in, integration, when we step into integrity, where we just decide there is, I just, I can't have different versions of myself. Like I can't mm -hmm. be this gen in this room, a, a slightly different gen in this room, and then really my only real self in this little private one that nobody knows okay. I actually live in, right? Like that's just not sustainable. And, but, but what's funny is um, a lot of women think just, I think maybe because of my personality or because I titled this book, something so aggressive um, that my, <laughs> that my um, 
uh, assertion here is that we should all be bigger and louder and, and wider and, you know, um, bolder. Um, but in some cases, the truth is, is that for as many of us who have been told to be less our whole life, um, which I think that'd be you and I, pe- people sort of personalities a little bit more like ours. There's another group of women who have been told to be more their whole yeah. lives. You know, like you're not enough. You're not taking up enough enough space. You are not um, trying hard enough or your dreams aren't um, grand enough or just whatever right. the thing is. And so my, my hope is not that every single woman becomes like the loudest trumpet in the band. I don't find that no, that would be a disaster. That's not authentic either. No, that's a disaster. Um, this is not a self-help book. Oh my gosh, I hate those. <laughs> this is, it's more like self-discovery. And so it's like, who are Ooh, you? Yeah. Like, who are you? How do you thrive? And so back to your question, when we decide, when we sort that out, who am I really? Like, how much space am I created to take up? And, and what messages are telling me to be more or less? When we figure that piece out, you're right, where we fear the most... Um, collateral damages in our relationships. Um, Because of course, those mean the most to us. You know, we can lose a lot of things, but our relationships matter the most to us. And so um, what I've discovered, even though, you know, a lot of uh, fears is of course written from my perspective and what I've learned and earned the last few few years, which was largely centered in kind of a... um, an evolving faith space. Mm-hmm. Um, the truth is, this, this is not just for faith communities. I mean, I think most women can deeply identify with being a part of a subculture, whatever that is. Oh, yeah, whatever where, it is. Whatever that is, where belonging is the currency. So, like, if that, it could just be your family. Like, it could be your family and in your extended family. Um, it could be your your career, your sort of corporate space, what your industry mm-hmm. is, and all those norms. Um, mm-hmm. It could even be geographical. Like, I women write to me all the time. They're like, I live in the Deep South, and I am a real outlier here. And I feel lonely, you know, like, uh, my ideas are different, my theology or my the politics are different, or just whatever the thing is. And so, we all kind of know our subgroups and their rules. Um, We know what they are. And, and so for most places, except for the most charitable communities, which there are those two, but in most subcultures, um, belonging is the currency. And so when we follow the rules that we are expected to follow, including all of it, we say the things, we do the things, we believe the things we, you know, all of it, we know, we know the deal. Um, we get to stay, we get to belong, we get to, we get to be a part of the community. But we do know, we know that when we step outside, when we challenge, when we resist, when we say, I don't think this, when we say, I disagree, um, generally, the first thing to be revoked is our, our belonging. It is. That's what we lose. We lose our space inside the community. And that's terribly punitive. And it's ter. it's what a deterrent. So I absolutely understand why women stand on this side of fear going, I'm afraid of the loss. Like, I don't know where I'd go. I don't know where I'd land. I don't know what would happen. Um, And so I'm so compassionate toward those emotions. Um, And and I do just want to tell you that one thing I've learned is because I was, you know, that that was my story as well. And I did lose my um, place in the community. And I lost my, um, I was 
I was very favored inside of that world. And I lost all that, lost the favor, lost the um, good standing, lost belonging entirely. And um, what I want to say, though, is that I discovered that I really didn't know on the front end is that that is not, those are not the only worlds that exist. Not every single subculture is that punitive and that afraid of differences, that afraid of dialogue, that afraid of distinctions and different ideas. And so um, what I've discovered is this beautiful community out here, you and I are a part of it, um, that is wonderfully curious. Oh, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Oh, we just have, we have, we're all over the map. You know, we have all kinds of ideas and all kinds of questions. And we're asking all sorts of things of systems and doctrines and theologies. And I just find it so robust and so not scary. And it's full of life. And, and, and connection is able to remain intact, even in the midst of all of it. And so I do believe that we can build a world that we want and that we can join these communities um, that don't ice one another out for being true and for telling the truth. Um, In fact, I'd like to see, I I was saying this last week, if truth can make something collapse, whether that's a system or a doctrine or a relationship, then that thing should be collapsed. Oh yeah. Um, It should, if it cannot bear up to what is true, then it was a lie to begin with. We're going to take a brief break from this conversation to listen to some messages from our sponsors that make this podcast possible. If you can't show up as who you are and have it be, um, sure, people can like question you on it. Like real relationship kind of requires that like, hey, this is different than I've experienced you before. But if it's an all out, collapse or if a system can't handle the fullness and you know reality of what and you know even as people morph and change then it never was what we thought it was and I think at first that can seem scary can but then at other times it's like man sometimes there has to be death for resurrection like we got to get rid of these these things that have been holding us and it doesn't mean there's not something on the other side and and guess what that's might let you down too but it's just the awareness of like I, this was never real in the first place. I remember my friend going through uh, a divorce and he, it had been, I mean, we were all friends in seminary and his experience of like realizing that a lot of things he thought was true were true, um, weren't true. And so he was sitting and I remember him saying, I, I don't even need things to be perfect anymore. I just need mm. them to be true. And oh, I thought, wow, that's good. Wow. Like he said, yeah. I don't even, he's like, you know, if, if I'm, as I'm looking for a life partner now and he's now married to a wonderful woman. Um, but he, he was like, I just, I don't even like, I just want to see all of it. I don't like, tell me what you don't like. Tell me all the things. Um, I mm-hmm. don't want this anymore uh, where someone's pretending to be something they're not. And then all of a sudden just goes to who they actually are. Um, I just mm-hmm. want truth. And I think we are so, um, condition to like oh again what if she's born with it what if it's maybelline like if so yeah. many of us feel like okay i've got to let go of what i was born with and just show up with the thing that's like really well put together and i think yeah. even in the world of i loved that you even question in the book this even progressive communities uh, you know for me yeah. and myself i came from you know a progressive community then spent a lot of time in a um 
evangelical, very conservative community, and then back to mm-hmm. the progressive community. And the the anger and the like, you have to fit into a certain mold is on both sides. Um, oh, you know, as yes. you get to the edges, it, they really are. And they're as aggressive and as like othering to the point where, I mean, I've, I've been at a conference where I just started bawling because I was listening yep. to how someone was speaking about someone who had, you know, who was conservative and, and like just, and I was like, you don't know that person. And you, yeah. you're dehumanizing in the same way that you just said you hated the dehumanizing of. And it's like this thing that we, again, it just, the truth and the authenticity and the grace just really kind of break open all mm-hmm. of these like ideas that you have to be a certain thing. And, um, you know, even the idea that sometimes people feel like they're not enough because they're too much, you know? Um, yeah, totally. It's a weird thing. And I think women do experience it in a way that I hate as someone who, you know, I've got a niece and I think, man, yeah. I hope it changes for you. I mean, even the yeah. the narrative of, uh, I remember last election when they talked about mm. the fact that, uh, you know, however you feel about it, Hillary Clinton smiled too much and then she smiled not yeah. enough. And it was yeah. like, why are we having this conversation? We don't yeah. talk about men and like, did he smile enough? Like, it's yeah. just this like narrative. And so breaking free can give us this space. And then we have to sort of figure out how to negotiate our our space in a way. Um, so I'm so grateful for that. Do you, how are you finding people reacting to this? Are people reacting in the way that you would, I mean, what I feel like, I feel like you wrote this mm-hmm. not hoping for a particular reaction, which I love. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like mm-hmm. you wrote it and you said, here's the thing. And then yeah. you even say like, take what you want of it. Yeah. I Has do. it been surprising to you how people are like, I'm taking the whole thing? Uh, it's been really, um, oh man, humbling. Mm-hmm. And r- just watching how this is intersecting, you know, I, I don't, you don't know, you don't know how it's going to land. You don't know where women are. You don't know what they're willing to receive or what they're willing to face. Cause fierce requires a lot of facing. Like it's, it's not like sit in a lounge chair and just rip through it like a fiction book. Like it, it, no. it, it, it requires something of us. There's work to be done and there's things to be said and admitted. And um, there's costs to be considered and dreams to be reimagined. I mean, there's some stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, um, I didn't know how uh, all that for me has unfolded over the course of a few years. Um, and so, you know, when you can feasibly read this in one day, you know, I don't know how it's like drinking from a fire hose. Um, and so I was very prepared for, and then of course the pandemic hit and our capacity um, is just so different right now. What oh. it is we can yeah. give our, not even just our time and energy to, but our mental energy to, yes. um, you know, and so to some degree, I just had to say, I've told the truth. I've done my work. I said what was real and then I'm just going to put it out into the world and, and we'll see what, let it be what it's going to be. You know, now, now it belongs to the community and it's theirs um, to receive and their, the receiving of it has been overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. Like, and then again, it's this wonderful thing to go, Oh, so many of us are in this one thing together. So many of us said yes to like this paragraph you mm-hmm. know, or so many of us were like, Oh my gosh, me too, me too, me too on this chapter. Um, 
which is it's uh, comforting. It's comforting to know that even as we face some pretty important interior work, we're not alone in it, not in the struggle and not in the recovery. Um, And so it's been what I think if there's anything surprising, it's how many women have said, I ordered my daughter a copy immediately. She's 19, you know, or I, this is my This is my high school and college graduation gift to all the girls in my life. Like that is extraordinary and feels so special. And I have said before that if these were things that somebody told me when I was 20, I just don't even know. I can't even imagine. Um, These were ideas and concepts I did not even I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know some of these words. Do you want to know what I was, I was reading at 20? I read hmm. and it mortified my mom. You have to understand I grew up Canadian, British, yeah. progressive home. So like okay, when right. I when I brought home a Republican Southern Baptist, it was yes. like Dharma and great. They didn't know what to do. They're like, uh, uh, it was like the biggest uh-huh. rebellion I've ever done. So I <laughs> told this to my mom one day. When I was 20, the book study I was in was called yeah. Waiting for the One. And it was about how women could wait for their partner to show up, wait for their, not even partner, wait for the guy to show up on the, on the horse, you know, um, straight up pretty woman style at the end. Um, while you did that, you could love Jesus as your partner. And I remember reading it and looking around the room and thinking, you guys are all like, I, I asked the girl, I said, well, what's plan B? Hmm. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, if he doesn't show up and they're hmm. like, well, let's read the chapter on having faith again, you know? And I was like, okay, but wait, we're just supposed to wait. And no one was, I just sat there like, I don't, hello. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. It was just yeah. such an isolating <laughs> moment. Like, on. I don't know what to do. And I remember, like, I don't remember a lot about college, but man, I remember sitting in that room and looking at the brown carpet and going like, I don't hmm. belong here. Like, wow. it, maybe who I am is is going to isolate me from community because I certainly don't feel like my only thing is to wait around for someone to save me. Hmm. That seems weird. And what are they saving me from? It was hmm. just the strangest experience of like, waiting for the one as a Bible study. Um, and then, you know, it's Hopefully. interesting. I'd love to reread it because I bet like the way they narrated these very fierce women in the Bible was probably like, yeah. really? You think they were just like waiting around? Totally. I I didn't know that either. I have always read the Bible through a patriarchal lens. Um, it was just, I had no other measure. I just had I'd never heard a different interpretation. We had no access to um, just like, female theologians and scholars like I didn't know that was a, I didn't even know that was a category um and so yeah some of that revelation in my adult life has been mind-blowing um to reimagine the story of God um mm-hmm. in a way where women are not just subservient um waiters side <laughs> players in the story kind of like subplots Oh, I know. Or like the sneaky. And I think it gives us this narrative that we have to like manipulate to get our agenda. Like, oh, did you notice like the women who saved Moses manipulated? And so therefore women should 
manipulate, but yep. don't manipulate like, you know, Jezebel did. You have to manipulate, like do the right kind of manipulation, oh but manipulation is assumed. And that's just a yeah. false yeah, it is. reading, but it's how I think so many of us have, I can't really say what I really want, but here's the like, mm. you know, and having lived part of my life in the South, like that really is a, it's a spiritual gift of some people to be able to like say the thing they want without saying the thing they want because yeah. they're, you're afraid of that, like, you know, that tear in community. If you were to just say, I don't like that, or I don't think yeah. that, um, totally. And it's a, I think you're right. It's crazy making to wonder like, who should I be when I walk in this room? Am I this mm. one mm. or am I this mm. one? Like, which totally. one am I? And there's an integration Gosh. that has to happen. And I love, I laugh so hard when you said that you're an introvert because I am too. And I, yeah, it has been a, a thing of shame for me because I have oh. tried to extrovert so hard. Like if I'm speaking at an event that's more than one day, I just try to extrovert so hard. And then I would find yeah. myself exhausted and you know in my hotel room just hoping no one knocked on the door and I was so surprised and then until you're right I read something about being an introvert and I told my assistant at the time and she was like yeah you've peopled Uh too much and that's what happens when you people too much because you give them all of it but we have to have like almost give ourselves permission to look ourselves in the face and say like what do I really want not not what do other people expect of me which we've learned totally. how to do. It's interesting because that whole introvert thing, I want to give that some real credit for laying some important pavement for me because mm-hmm. um, that revelation came to me a handful of years ago before I was willing or ready to do some more of this heavy lifting that I've done at this point. Um, and I, it was when I read the book Quiet. Did you read that yes. by Susan Cain? yeah. Yeah. It like freaking blew my brain apart. I <laughs> had never known this about myself. And because I have a powerful personality and because I have really like savvy social skills and because I love people, which is all sincere. That's all true. Yeah. Same. Um, I always thought if everybody knew that I am actually mean in my heart, because when I am at <laughs> these huge events with all these women and all this attention and all this talking, I'm actually freaking out mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure out where can I hide? And like, is there any way I can just have a quiet room for a minute? And so my, what my internal narrative was saying was, see, you're bad. Like people don't even think you're good, but you're bad. And when I discovered that I wasn't bad, that I was just introverted, it opened up the possibility that maybe there were some other categories I could re-examine. Like that maybe some of the labels I was attaching to myself weren't negative at all, but rather I had just believed a bad story. And so I will always be grateful to Susan Cain for freaking explaining myself to me and setting me free to literally be my own self in a more authentic way. And because that understanding, just that simple understanding of who I was helped me create a little bit of a different work life environment. I, I put some boundaries in place. I, I asked for some things I'd never felt permission to ask for. Mm. Um, I made some changes in the way that I travel and the volume in which I travel and it changed my life. And so it's not a small deal to figure out, you know, who really am I? How do I, 
how do I flourish on this earth? And in more than one category, like, what is it that makes me me? And what is it that helps me be like the, my, the highest version of me? Um, because honestly, that's not selfish work. That no. affects our relationships. It mm-hmm. affects our careers. Mm-hmm. It affects the people who love us, that we're serving, that we work for and with. It affects our kids, our partners, everything for good. It affects them for good. And so this story that women who take the time to understand who they are and then to build a life around what's true are dangerous to their relationships and their churches and their communities. That's a lie. Yeah, that's a lie. That's just a story we were told. It's a story that we're told to keep us where we are. And I think even with pastors who are told that we all have to just like you give and give it, you got to have like, well, yeah. you need to be on call all the time. You need you need, be there, be an open. And it's true. Yeah. Like I want to be uh, available to people, but I, with having this understanding of myself as an introvert, I have to realize like, you know, in some ways I'm an ambivert, um, but uh-huh. mostly like I get my energy from, you know, downtime in a way that surprises people. Um, but I have found mm-hmm. that, it's the spaces of other pastors and and sometimes even worse in the female pastor spaces um there are like Mm -hmm. four of us and we meet occasionally i'm just kidding but it feels that way um (laughs) there there is this sense that like no no you need to be like way open and available for everyone and all the things and the truth is then you're available for no one um because you're either putting on like a fake and people get that they get it eventually right that you're not actually available that you're just sort of doing the thing because you're you feel like you have to do the thing and your energy is drained and like you're yeah. not your best stuff comes out and i i think that the reality is when we do the inner work then we are actually more available for the for the big work and that makes space for yep. other people so it's not selfish it's actually no it's not kind of the least selfish thing you do couldn't do is to look yourself in the face and say like what do i what am I really? And it's, I think you mm-hmm. even said, it's like, this isn't something that I do. It's something that I am like, it's okay. Yeah. I, I'm not just doing this because, you know, and I think that's the problem too, a little bit with some of the self-help books is it, it gives us a prescription and you can't do that. You can't, yeah. you know, as similar as you and I are, I wouldn't say that everything that works for me is going to work for you and vice versa. Sure. Of course. You know, yeah. And then that requires truth because I think sometimes the hard, we just want to like, give me the six things to do, you know? Um, totally. And, and that doesn't it, it work. Would, it doesn't. And that's too bad because <laughs> wouldn't that be easier if we Aww. could just like teleport somebody else's template into our life? And, and I think some leaders try to do that. They try to say, this is the one way or this is the right way to be um, and kind of pattern their their instruction after how they are created, but that's just not real or true or fair. And so, (laughs) um, you know, I think it's way more exciting. I am way more interested in women who step into their own skin exactly as they are. I love that woman so much. I have a lot of those women in my life um, who've already, they've done this work and I know that they have integrity. I know it. Like, I know that when you speak, you are telling the truth. I know that you only say what you mean. 
Mm -hmm. Um, I know that your yes is yes and your no is no. I know that I can trust you to tell me the the truth when I ask you a question. I love those women. Those women have meant everything to me. And so I just keep thinking, like, how exciting would it be just to develop and encourage and create a whole community like that? Like, what good news would that unleash into the world? Like, unbelievable, the goodness that would be on the other side of that community. And so that's what I'm excited about these days. That really thrills me. You know, I spent a lot of time as a, as a leader, primarily in a faith space, trying to get everybody to follow the rules right you know because <laughs> you and I are good at that I'm just yeah. naturally good at that I was born into that I was born for that um, like here's the rules and so what faithfulness looks like is who can follow these the tightest um, and then also who can be the most certain <laughs> inside of them and that used to give me a lot of comfort I, oh. I'm saying it kind of in a funny way but that used to be comforting to me um, to feel like I was just yep. definitely on super stable ground that never had to be pushed on or questioned or challenged or re-evaluated like that was a comfort until it wasn't until it started feeling like a prison and until um just as I got older and I stepped into maturity and a a wider worldview and new experiences and new perspectives and um as I got a better handle on what injustice looks like in the world um those things that used to feel so secure, I realized were only really secure for me and people like me. They mm-hmm. weren't good news for everybody. And so if it's not good news for everybody, then it's not good news. That's yeah. just it. That is the bottom line. And so I am so thrilled when I think about women pressing on forms that don't hold anymore. Don't be afraid, people listening. Just don't be afraid. This is worth it. It's worth it for you. It's worth it for everybody that you love. It's worth it for the rest of your life. You know, we have a lot of pavement left. You know, how are we going to spend these days? This is it, man. Like, there is no second chance here. And so I just, I want to go, I want to die with no regrets. I do. I want to be just (laughs) this old, wrinkly lady on my deathbed and have a good story to tell. And I, I, I don't want to say that I hung on to anything that I should have let go of, not power, not self-protection, not regret or anger, not fear. God, I want to be able to say that I released all that. Um, and so I, I am accountable to my future self right now at age 45. Well, you look at the, I don't know if you've ever read the things like from the hospice. It's a wonderful hospice caregiver one time who wrote all out the number one like things that people talked about as they were sort of nearing the end of life. And a lot of it has to do with radical honesty, like realizing that yeah, people couldn't love them for them, couldn't fully love them because they weren't fully there. Or, you know, I wish I'd done the thing yeah. that I always wanted to do. Um, and, it, and it doesn't have to be, you know, I love... Um, I, I heard the the girl who uh, who started Seiko talk about how everyone thinks they have to have this like big audacious dream. But what if you just like, what if the yeah. truth is like your dream is a smaller thing? And it was so interesting how all these women in the room, their shoulders went down. Like maybe like mm. part of it is like being having the courage or audacity to be like super content with where you're at and not constantly yeah. striving. And maybe what if it's like, looking around and saying, man, I'm doing this one thing really well. And this is Mm -hmm. the way that I'm doing it. I think that's the, it's the truth telling of not everyone needs to be 
all these things. And I, yep. you, and when you try to live other people's lives, it just is, you know, it's a moving target. It is an absolute moving target. Whereas like self awareness and knowledge and your presence to yep. other people is, it's not a moving target. Although you grow That's and grow right. and grow, you're growing into and, and, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, reading this book for me, I think is going to be a little bit like reading um, Father Richard Rohr's books. I find I read a chapter mm-hmm. and then I like, okay, yeah. And I might be able to read through it quickly, but then I'm like, oh, what did that actually, what uh-huh. are, what you call it the cost? What is that actually going to cost me? Yeah. Because to, yeah. to just read it and agree is fine. But if I am going to do this thing, it's going to cost me and it's risky, but mm. it's, I think more ris- risky to stay where you are in some ways because you're well here's here's the thing sarah like when we refuse to to tell the truth and that's just Mm -hmm. really what it comes down to um Mm -hmm. when we choose to bury it or silence it or fake it or pretend it or repackage it or (laughs) whatever like there's always a cost there's a cost right now. So yeah. women are thinking, I don't know if I'm prepared to pay the cost. You're already paying a cost. It's never free. Lying is never free. So probably the person paying the cost is you. Mm-hmm. You're paying it. And it's your integrity is taking a hit. Your sense of identity is hurting. Your needs and wants and convictions are paying the price. It's not free and it's not neutral. And so it's, it's this idea that women think, which is I'm going to just continue as I am um, because what I want to do is just keep the peace, right? Mm-hmm. I just want to keep the peace in my little world. But the thing is, in that version of keeping the peace, you have no peace. It yeah. costs you your peace. And it sometimes it costs other communities their peace because we're right. unwilling to stand with them or stand by them or stand for them. And so therefore it's going to, they're going to pay the bill. And so it's not free. Yeah. And so we kind of have to decide what are we willing to pay? Um, and so um, my just deep hypothesis is that truth is a trustworthy guide that mm. what is true, even when it is hard, some true things are hard. Like people listening, thinking, if I said this true thing out loud, the wheels would come off. Truth is not easy. <laughs> and, and I'm not suggesting that it is. Um, but I believe it is a trustworthy guide. I think truth is our path to really the only life worth living. Because even the hardest thing that we can ever imagine saying, once we say that out loud, well, now we can face it. Now we can yeah. deal with it. Now we can invite truth and healing and restoration into that place. Um, Now we can say, okay, what do we do with this hard thing? Um, And so I just contend that we can trust truth to do what it does, which, like Jesus said, is set us free. And I believe (laughs) that to be true. Well, I am so, I just love chatting with you. I want to ask you the, the final question that I ask everyone. And I think you have given us such big, huge, and yet tiny things that are huge. So like tiny idea of like, just tell the truth. Well, that obviously has costs and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So if you could think of one just tangible way that someone could begin to make space for themselves, what mm-hmm. what would it be if there was something like as a listener who's like, man, I, I want it, I like it, this, this mm-hmm. is speaking to me, how can they start? What is one way to start? 
yeah, it just starts inside. This is an inside job way before it's an outside job. Like yes. um, way before we kind of sort of go half-ass <laughs> into these broken Get a full places. asset. Get a full asset. You got a full ass inside. <laughs> and so to me, this the first step is women giving themselves permission um, to do the work. To mm-hmm. say, I'm worth this. My relationships are worth it. Um, my life is worth it. What the work of my hands is worth it. Um, and this is not selfish and this is not dangerous. And, um, this is not being unfaithful. Um, this is not disobedient. Women have to give themselves so many permissions, even just to start the engine. And so this is our work to determine inside first, because frankly, sometimes the very first person we lie to is ourselves. Oh, right? Gosh, yes. <laughs> we are we are pretending with our own selves that these things are okay. Um, so if we can say, I'm going to be truthful with with me first. I'm going to get still. I'm going to get quiet. I'm going to go internal. I'm going to really pay attention. I'm going to listen to what my body is telling me, my heart, my mind, my soul, my actual physical body. Um, that is a beautiful place to begin. And it might take a while. Like we may just sit there for a little bit, especially if you're like super conditioned to deny your own life, then this is some work and it's going to feel weird. Um, your own thoughts are going to try to interrupt your, your journey. And so I think if women would start there and realize, okay, the first step is not blowing up my career, right? Or the first (laughs) step is not um, applying a whole new set of rules onto this challenging relationship. The first step is to get kind of quiet and kind of still um, and and get a little clear. And so that's what I would say. And I hope that's what Fierce does for people. I hope it's like a really loving, gentle, fiercely protective guide that a woman can hold in her hands and say, this is a place to start. I can start here in the safe pages of this book and then I'll trust myself to know what to do next. Uh, I think that is absolutely it. Jen, thank you so much for, this is such a busy day for you. I know you've got like Mm -hmm. a wonderful event uh, tonight that's going to be amazing. And I'm so grateful that you took time to speak with me and that you are always, I feel like you are, um, you're a permission giver for me and a Mm -hmm. friend. And um, I feel less alone just knowing you're in the world too. Um, And this Mm -hmm. book. What a nice Uh, thing to say. I'm so grateful for you. So thank you so much. Love you, sis. Love you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. I hope that you will take Jen's challenge to go deeper and look within. I can actually recommend her book as a great starting point to asking the question, who am I really? This week's quote actually is an encouragement in that. It's from Søren Kierkegaard. To dare is to lose one's footing momentarily. Not to dare is to lose oneself. Friends, I hope that you are challenged to dare just a little bit this week. Making Spaces is edited by Stephen Burnett from The Cult Popcast. The introduction music is It Can Be Done by Ari via Epidemic Sound. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And leave us a review. It helps other listeners find us and let us know that we're on the right track.